Hi, I'm Alexandra Yuhas. This is the sixth emergency episode of We Need Gentle Truths for Now. The podcast engages in radical digital media literacy by enjoying a bite of education and a bit of poetry, creating humane responses to fake news and social media in the era of COVID-19. This extra episode is made during an enduring time of uprising following the murders of George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and countless other African Americans at the hands of the police. As protests continue here in Brooklyn, I reached out to two poets, Shayla Sabri and Margaret Ree. They had worked with me on two fake news poetry workshops on race in the media. The first was in 2018, with women of color poets in Brooklyn. The second, nearly a year later, was at the home of Claudia Rankin and John Lucas, where we translated some of the poems written in Brooklyn into video poems. In this new moment of insurrection and distance, would they reflect now upon poetry, media, race, safety, and beauty? Could they open out the truth of Black Lives Matter through their poetry and conversation? They could and did. Over a loving back and forth recorded on Zoom, edited for this episode, they each share a poem, then work together to co-articulate the relations between place, politics, poetry, and power. Hello, my name is Shayla Seabree, and I'm here with Margaret Ree, and I am a professor at Bucknell University, where I also direct the Stadler Center for Poetry and Literary Arts. I am a poet, and I will read for you a poem called The Lore. I can be seduced by globular street lamps with floating flower baskets, a warm June breezing bushes as high as first lip of roof line. Victorian houses shaded in wax shine leaves, begging please fall in love with me. Four car freight trains sound horns for miles as they wind through rural central wherever against the shush of crops rattling together. I've always wanted to write a poem like this about the paper swish of lamb's ear and the substantive differences of petal leathers. I've always wanted to feel safe anywhere, but there's chaos in the cloth writhing on the flagpole, mosquitoes feasting on the taut skin of my feet, dark clouds rolling. Every four by four grid just feels like a version of your grin asking me to sit, to have just one drink. My name is Margaret Ree, and I am a poet, and I teach at the University at Buffalo in Media Studies. I also help lead the Paula Light Lab, which is a queer feminist media lab on campus. The poem I will read is titled Theft of Color. When I ask, the histologist responds, cells have no color. We use ink to color the slides. In my understanding, my ultrasound was all light and some gray. My child grew to be made of dinosaur sounds, toothy kindness, and no particular color. I consider it theft when I have to teach my child how to answer, what are you and where are you from? 
theft when he learns the futility of two hands raised in surrender. Ink bleeds through our ability to see, our sanction to breathe. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. So I was just struck by your reading, and I'm really excited for your new work, especially after your first collection, Mistress, that came out. I wondered if you could talk about this new work and how it compares to your first poetry collection and what might be different in terms of the process of writing? Yeah, this actually is a standalone poem that doesn't sort of belong to any any project. I wrote it probably two summers ago, uh, two or three summers ago, um, when I was in a place where it felt like I wanted to write about what it was like to write poems that were explicitly about nature and not even necessarily nature. I'm writing particularly about a small town, but just I feel like my poems are so rooted in human beings often. And it feels appropriate for me in this moment to think about this poem. I live in a rural central place at this time as well. And so this very clear clash of middle America sort of sensibilities. I am looking out of a window at a cornfield, knowing that there are at the end of my street, um, a house that has uh, racism has no home here next to a house that has several Trump flags. And so the sort of visual juxtaposition of our country is really framed for me here. And so this poem for me speaks in many ways, not only to like this moment, but it does kind of gets to the root of some of the things that I'm wrestling with in, in my writing, which is what does it mean to not feel as though I have a place in a country that is my homeland. And so I find that this poem for me kind of brings those conversations together. And for me, listening to you read your poem about what it is not to necessarily, it's less a a conversation about what it is to belong, but like to see how other people see you in that poem, which I thought was really lovely. The question of what are you and where are you from and how that must be taught to you. So I wonder if you could actually talk a little bit more about your poem and sort of how it is in conversation with your work. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting to think of some of the convergences of your discussion of place and politics and poetry. So it's interesting because in some ways, I think in my poem, you know, I wrote that a few years ago, definitely during a time when there were many protests around Black Lives Matters and Eric Garner and just writing in solidarity. And what does it mean to always have to be placed, right? Being always asked, what are you? Or the curiosity around one's racial identity, especially for those who are non-white, that constantly kind of experience that dissonance. And just sort of the imagination of, because I don't have my own child, but how the world functions in a way where children of color have to learn different kinds of lessons and mm-hmm. negotiations and, and the reality of violence and especially anti-Black violence. Like, what does it mean to have neighbors who are, you know, vehemently anti-racist and then some neighbors who are totally pro-Trump or pro-quote-unquote America, which also oftentimes means, like, not being in solidarity with Black Lives Matters 
I wonder if you could maybe talk a little more about process. Yeah. For me, there was this, I was really interested in amplifying the way that Black women are seen or not seen, not only in the past, but in the contemporary culture. And I think that's, you know, a larger investment for me. My, my next book project looks at a Black woman's experience in a relationship. It's called Field Study, and it's framed like observational notes. And so it's something that I continue to be interested in. And again, this is how like the lore feels like a poem that doesn't very clearly articulate some of those textures that the other two books do, but in the way it's, it's still in a, it's still in conversation with it in terms of that sort of outsideness. We're talking like about like the body and sensuality, but I think I'm also trying to get at something about seeing someone's humanity, which I know that I think is one of the really beautiful things about your work and conversation with robots and technology and media and Like, how do we render humanity? Yeah, I mean, the robot poems for me were definitely about, you know, queer, in some ways, Asian American kind of woman experiences, but kind of through the, you know, the shape and form of a robot and sort of, and only because I felt a little braver um, expressing it through science fiction. I love what you said about bravery in science fiction just now, like, creating this construct in which you can further go inside of oneself. But I wonder if the current sociopolitical, cultural climate also has an impact on the way you're approaching your work now. Yeah. You know, in some ways, I kind of also feel like there's a way where language can't grasp these experiences that we have, that in some way there's, it's just so tenuous. In other ways, I feel like the world has kind of exploded, like in a in a really important and good way. That that there's been a cracking in some ways right now in this moment with you know the movements around George Floyd's murder and some of the discourse around like anti Asian racism around COVID that mm-hmm. has been much more in the open. As a black woman, I just feel like there's so few opportunities in my actual life just to be in my full self in its complication and its beauty and its contradiction and its joy and its sadness. I just feel as though there's such a narrow window in which I can exist, like where where people see me and see my humanity. And I wanted this project to allow me to air, to be a villain and the heroine and everything in between. And I wanted like a black speaker, a black woman speaker to exist in all of these complicated spaces and to just love herself and learn to love herself and to be president, all of it. And the project deals with a black woman speaker having been in a relationship with a white man. So it was particularly fraught for me to finish that book this summer and to wrestle with that. But I think in many ways, it's difficult to write about what it is for Black women to live a complicated, beautiful existence when Black people are being murdered constantly in this country. And the impact of anti-Blackness is always this weight that's so that weighs heavily on me. And I work hard at my joy and I love to laugh and I love good food and good people. And I hold on to those things 
I keep telling some people some of my frustration is everyone's newfound appreciation for racism that I've existed underneath my entire life and been working to lift the weight of oppression off of me. And so I am frustrated by how some people's first time understanding it. I'm certainly not saying I would prefer they remain ignorant. It is just a frustration that the way that I've had to live my entire life is somehow new fact for people. Yeah, I just appreciate your work so much. I appreciate how you're bringing so much complexity to your work in terms of the beauty and the pleasure and all those complexities, right? You know, Stacy has one of these episodes and she was in our initial workshop and I just love seeing the ways in which sort of the conversations that you and I have been having since we met each other, I guess, three years ago now, the way that they're taking root in other places. Yeah, absolutely. It's really exciting to know that our communities can grow in like how we build conversations and solidarity. And as you're saying, like working on the workshop together and like sort of having that as a another space of conversation and writing, you know, because it was like we were writing prompts together, right? And and mm-hmm. sort of within conversation with Claudia's work with Citizen, which was such, yeah, just such hard truths. You know, we primer and we're pulling out things from the primer that we felt were were engaged with Citizen that we felt like we're also engaged with this visual media culture and the media work that you work in more formally than, than I do. And so it was this nexus that we were sort of bringing together, which I'm still fascinated by and image and video and history and this project that Alex has been working on to really push a conversation. And so in response to the 2016 election and what truth we need and what truth we shy away from and where we can see or not see ourselves. Yeah. Just having like Alex and Claudia there together was also really nice as women artists who are working in these multiple modes and breaking down form in such radical political ways. They were just so supportive as well. So that was also really nice to share. It reminds me of how important just connection is, especially in this particular um, moment where it's so hard for us to even you know see each other (laughs) conversations are so precious um, and so meaningful I love the love you know Mm -hmm. and like how it's like not about competition but really building each other right and like celebrating each other and And seeing that as more of sort of the mode in which we should all be in versus I think oftentimes like a person of color, like, oh, there can only be one or some ridiculous kind Mm -hmm. of understanding of what that means. But I just love the love and the celebration and the ways that we can really uplift one another. And so incredibly grateful for that and for conversations like this, because I think we've had, you know, a really lovely conversation, not only about each other's work, but the communities that we're engaged in, the questions that we have, and like the people, the other people who also made space for us, like Claudia and Alex. So yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation because of all of that warmth. I guess I kind of want to just thank our friendship and our colleagueship Mm -hmm. and just being able to talk 
together and to discuss these issues, but yeah, and also celebrate each other. So <laughs> it's a delight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this emergency episode of We Need Gentle Truths for Now, Black Lives Matter, Speak and Spell, Teach and Tell, Count and Swell. As Margaret and Shayla tell it, there are so few opportunities in our actual lives to be in our full selves and their complication and beauty and contradiction and joy. Poetry, education, conversation are those rare places How do we render humanity? Shayla asks Margaret. I humbly engage my colleagues with the 100th hard truth from my online primer. Speak and spell, teach and tell, count and swell. Speak and spell about love, teach and tell about friendship, count and swell our writing and conversation in a time of continuing distance and proximity, all in honor of a very simple truth. Black Lives Matter. This episode was produced, written, and read by Alexandra Yuhas. It was directed and edited by Matthew Hiddle and copy edited by Gavin McCormick. Music by Noah Chevin. Social media assistance by Julia Gill. Conversation between Shayla Sabri and Margaret Ree another rhyme worth noting and loving. Thank you for listening.